1: Well, after spending some time in the warmth of the American Southwest, I'm so happy to be here in the 30 degrees of Wisconsin, preparing yeah. for our hopefully last snowstorm of the year.
0: Welcome back, Mike. And Thank officially you. now, I can congratulate you in the present tense because oh, you right. finished another marathon, your Thank fifth you. one.
1: Yes. Yes, ma'am.
0: So you, you can count them all on one hand still, but not, <laughs> <That's> by, <right. laughs>
1: not by much. That's right. It was, it, it was real fun out in the desert. Awesome. How'd it go? Pretty good. The first couple miles were actually down the side of a mountain in the dark. Oh, yeah. Did you roll? I should have rolled. (laughs) Well, they didn't have a lot of lights. So really the whole time you're just hoping you're not going to... Because there was 3,000 people running the full marathon. So the whole time you're hoping not to trip on somebody and die. Running in the dark is scary. It is, but I was hoping we'd be illuminated by the Phoenix lights.
0: Yeah, and did you see anything interesting in the sky? No,
1: unfortunately, no, no. UFOs. But oh. the uh, the sunset or the sunrise over the mountains and the desert was something spectacular. Fantastic. So uh, that was fun. Thank you uh, very much. Did now you got to explore the Bay Area? Did you see anything paranormal out there? Didn't
0: actually see anything paranormal, but uh, did visit a few different stops that had reported ghost stories. Okay. One of them being a delicious pizza place. <laughs> hey, that's in- cool. Pleasanton, California, uh, called the Gay 90s. And All right. so that they actually have a plaque outside that talks about the history of the place and also the fact that there's a uh, lady in blue seen in the upper window occasionally. So oh. she's their ghost. And uh, one of the waiters actually was talking about. Weird stuff going on there all the time. So it sounds like it's still an active place. We didn't actually witness anything ourselves, but we did have some phenomenal pizza there. I highly recommend it if you're fantastic. The The gay 90s. You'll
1: see the lady. Pleasanton, California. All right. Cool. (laughs) Check it out. Uh, Well, that sounds like fun. You know what else is fun, Wendy? Uh, What else is fun, Mike? Talking to
0: Nick Redfern. Oh, gosh. Yes. (laughs) It's great.
1: Yeah. We're super excited. He has so many things to talk about, too. He does. I love Like, it says, like, Nick's written over 40 books, but I, I kind of think it's over 400 at this point.
0: That's amazing.
1: Like, yeah, I mean, his, his uh, width and breadth of paranormal knowledge is something spectacular. And I'm excited that he brings that width and breadth of knowledge to bear on The Slender Man. Yes. I mean, that's something that we've talked about uh, on the show sporadically before. Um, I'm actually in Nick's book. All right, congratulations. Yes, we talk a little bit about different stories in Waukesha, talk about some of the the weirdness that's happened in Waukesha in the past. Yeah,
0: as the ghost tour guide in Waukesha, (laughs) I'm
1: very familiar with the Slender Man tragedy that occurred there. Yeah. And so we talk about that. Allison, who's uh, in the interview with Nick, she also is in in the book and and is. Which is and is T is in the book too from the more so Paranormal awesome. conference. So it, it's really it's it's like it's like all our buddies. <laughs> right. Our Wisconsin <laughs> group gets, you know, featured in Nick's Slenderman book. And it That's it's cool. a it's a really well written book and if I do say so myself <laughs> being in it. No. But the thing is <laughs> Uh, but, but it, it, it has a whole bunch of things that I've never thought of that I think is a first time, um, bringing some of this stuff to light. And you're going to hear all about that in the interview. And Allison actually found something and we'll talk about this too. Allison like discovered something or was the first to bring something to the light uh, about a relationship between, uh, what happened at Waukesha and coast to coast AM. Uh, that's also very interesting. And and I didn't know that she, I I don't even talked about this. I had to read it in the book. She's my sister, I read it in the book. So anyway, um, <laughs> I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation uh, with the extraordinary Nick Redfern. Returning to the podcast today is Nick Redfern, the author of over 40 books on ufology, cryptozoology, secret societies, conspiracies, and the paranormal. He is joining us today to talk about his brand spanking new book, The Slender Man Mysteries. Nick, welcome back to see you on the other side.
2: Hey guys, well, thanks for having me
1: on again. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for, uh, you know, making us part of this book too. We're really excited. Alice and I are both. Um, we have conversations with Nick because, uh, well, we have our own connections to the Slender Man, and we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Um, but Nick, starting out, uh, what got you into the Slender Man in the first place? What was the uh, what was the inspiration behind you getting yourself into this?
2: I mean, I was aware of it when it first began in 2009, when it was essentially a a contest set up by um, the Something Awful website to see who could come up with the weirdest, creepiest character, fictional character for the internet era. And um, so, you know, I was fully aware of it back then, but um, didn't take that much notice of it, just purely and simply because it was a contest on the internet with nothing, nothing else. But what sort of really caught my interest was within sort of um you know a handful of months after the creation if you like of the slenderman people were starting to claim to see the slenderman in the real world as well and that's when um it sort of really caught my attention the idea that maybe you know we were seeing something along the lines of like a a thought form a tolpa you know the idea of enough people believing in something and then it suddenly springs into life and um, so I followed the story extensively, you know, um, when these weirdest aspects of the Slenderman phenomenon began to surface. And over the years, uh, you know, I I'd, just I'd keep following it and occasionally forget about it. And then I realized that, you know, the, with the 10th anniversary coming up next year of the creation of the Slenderman, um, I realized it would actually only been one non-fiction book written on the subject in that almost 10-year period. that was by uh, Robin Swope, who wrote um, Slender Man from uh, Fiction to Fact. So I thought, well, you know, why not sort of go back and look at the whole thing um, from 2009 right through to now and look at all the different theories as to how the Slender Man may have come to life and... Go back to the origins, but also look at additional cases that predated the Slenderman, and um, and how it's actually some it's come to impact on so many lives, and and usually not always, but usually in a very sort of deadly, dangerous, and, and negative fashion.
1: And so, for for the for members of the audience who may not be completely familiar with the Slenderman, uh, let's get this out right away that the Slenderman is a fictional character created uh just to you know to scare people on the internet right it's he's like a a Freddy Krueger or a Jason Voorhees I mean he's, there's no um well at least as far as we know or you know I know in your book you talk about some of these cross-cultural similarities but uh the Slender Man was created from whole cloth right it wasn't you know based on some account of something real that happened beforehand correct
2: well not, not consciously at least, yeah. Um basically what happened in June two thousand and nine, um, you had this um contest set up by the as I said, the people at something uh, something awful. And basically, um it was sort of a contest. It wasn't sort of, you know, a hoax or anything like that. It was just some a competition to see who could come up with the the weirdest, most sinister, creepiest um character that's the internet has ever never seen. And of course, you're right, you know, it was sort of like a Freddy Krueger or a Jason Voorhees for the internet era. And various people submitted ideas and concepts, and one of them was Eric Nudson. And Eric Nudson was the guy who created the Slender Man, the imagery, the appearance, the black suit, the faceless face, the long arms, you know, extremely tall, sort of seven to nine feet tall, skinny and with these tentacle-like, octopus-like appendages coming out of its back and its side.
1: The tentacles are my favorite part.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of, Yeah, that kind of really, you know, gives it sort of a creepy uh, side to it. And um, what happened was that the one that really caught everybody's attention was Eric Knudsen's Slenderman, and what he did was to also upload a couple of um, Photoshop pictures, which showed the Slenderman in the in the presence of groups of children, which sort of almost immediately instilled the idea that the you know that the Slenderman uh, was like a dangerous figure to um, to children, and from there you had um, other people sort of. Very, very quickly, got into all this, and um, and it became it became almost like a meme, if you like. And um, but in no time at all, literally, other people were uh, creating their own stories and backstories concerning the Slenderman, Man, posting them online and forums. In the name of the Slender Man was set up and um, chat rooms, blogs, and it really became a phenomenon. Not in you know, years or months, but literally weeks. And then you had this incredibly um, popular um, fictional online um, series called Marble Hornets, which was basically almost kind of like a, a, f- um, like a found footage type situation, you know, of a bunch of friends trying to figure out what this creepy character is. And that that is the early part of it, and that's how it went on you know, for, as I said, for several months with nothing strange involved at all. It was just, the only strange thing was the speed with which it took off and the way in which people, even though they realized it was fictional, the speed with which people became obsessed with it. And and in many cases, it obsessed is, is not an incorrect word. It's actually completely accurate, you know.
3: And I mean, that's that's the scary thing to think that, you know where does this inspiration come from? Mm-hmm. You know we we usually attribute inspiration to you know to the writer, to you know whoever came up with these things. But you know, um, in ancient Greece, <laughs> they they used to think that inspiration came from uh, a muse. And mm-hmm. so what do you what do you think, Nick, about the the possible uh, paranormal origins? Of you know something that that really captivated people so deeply and so suddenly.
2: Well, yeah, I mean that that's a good question, Alison. I'll tell you for why because there is sort of a a school of thought, if you like, that um, that doesn't think that uh, Eric Nudson actually created it himself. Now, by that, I don't mean the story is false as to how it was created. The theory is that Eric Nudson may subconsciously have tapped into some kind of earlier archetype unknowingly and brought it forward for the modern era. Now I'll explain what I mean by that. When when Eric Nudson created the Slender Man, um, it didn't just some sort of come from his imagination as such. He was in by his own admission, he was inspired by um, things like the um, well, actually a number of different things. One of them uh, was a, a creepy creature that existed or was reported in the 1940s in the little town of Mattoon, Illinois, a character known as the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, which a lot of uh, your listeners may not have heard of, but it's a weird story from the 1940s of this tall, sort of thin um, character dressed in black who would invade people's homes in the middle of the night. And the room would become filled with this like this noxious odour like brimstone or sulphur, which is often tied to paranormal activity mm-hmm. and the person would be sort of paralysed in the bed and but he was inspired by that imagery. Now Eric Nudson was also inspired by the works of H. P. Lovecraft and that almost certainly was why, you know, he had these um, tentacles kind of like Cthulhu you know um, Lovecraft was sort of obsessed with um, sort of strange robbery tentacle types of creatures you know Dr. Zoidberg what's that
1: oh Dr. <laughs> Zoidberg from Futurama I always think about him when I think of Cthulhu <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and um, But one of the interesting theories about um, Lovecraft is, you know, his, his writings and these descriptions of these strange creatures and monsters and these ancient ruined cities and things like this. A, a number of people who followed the Lovecraft stories, if you like, believe that Lovecraft himself didn't actually like Knudsen, possibly, didn't actually create the stories themselves. What they believe is that Lovecraft, when he was, went to sleep at night, um, he would sort of astrally plane, you know, into other realms and dimensions. In other words, the, the ancient cities that he thought he was seeing in his dreams and the same with these street creatures, he may actually have tapped into brief glimpses of other forms of reality, multi-dimensions, things like that. And so the theory is that in the same way that Lovecraft thought he was creating things like Cthulhu and various other creatures and um, and also, you know, these ancient ruined cities and things like this, that he may actually have had a glimpse into another reality. And possibly that could have been the case also with Eric Nudson that, by his own admission, you know, he was inspired by Lovecraft. And if Lovecraft was inspired by um, things, you know, the realms of existence, then who knows where, you know, reality and image, imagination begin and end and where they start to cross.
1: And what I love about that right there is that it kind of ties into the whole thing. When they printed up versions of the Necronomicon, like in the late mm-hmm. 1960s, and they would put it in like bookstores and you just had this printed version of Necronomicon and there'd be nothing about how it was fiction in the book. And people yeah. would sit there and they'd go like, oh my God, I read about this book in this H.P. Lovecraft story and there really is a Necronomicon. And of course, when they sell evil books, you know they're going to sell them at, in the, at the mall, at the mall in Peoria, <laughs> Illinois, obviously because that's ne- not not too far away from where the mad gasser happens. Um, <laughs> right. But no, But, but that's... You know, I love that it, it all kind of, um, even the fiction. You know, it's like, well, what if it wasn't fiction? I mean, and that kind of even ties into when I was making that Freddy Krueger comment before. In 1994, Wes Craven made a movie called New Nightmare, and that he kind of he re uh, did Freddy Krueger into the real world. That he had dipped into that kind of cosmic. Knowledge or whatever, when he was dreaming or trying to create the character, and then that meant that the character was able to come into the real world, and so I think that that kind of idea that H.P. Lovecraft could have been dipping into something um, much more real um, than anything we realize. Uh, well, that's the kind of stuff that is why I need to wear diapers to bed.
3: <laughs> well, that was one you reason. Say that on, on <laughs> live radio. <laughs> uh yeah but um i want to interject here too that so did hp lovecraft was he tormented by these visions or you know oh, yeah. What, yeah i mean tell us a little bit more about that because that, that's fascinating to me you know the idea that you know maybe there's something real there or maybe there's you know you're just uh you know such uh, an incredible writer that you have um this this pure, you know, imagination that, mm. you know, becomes real to you. Uh, yeah, speak a little bit about about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's experiences.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good um, question or observation because, um, you know, most people have sort of heard of Cthulhu and Yog sothoth the, the more sort of well-known creatures that Lovecraft created and um, inspired other people to write about them as well. But um, there's a lesser-known creature um, that invaded um, Lovecraft's nightmares, if you like, and he called them night gaunts. And they were sort of, um, you know, these creatures, these winged creatures that would take him from his bedroom in, you know, the dead of night and take him, as, you know, to the clouds and then drop him back down to the rooftops. And then he would wake up in sort of a cold sweat, clammy cold sweat, you know, and, uh, and it was just a dream. Or was it just a dream, you know? And um, But what's interesting is that Lovecraft's uh, mother, she began to see these so-called night gaunts as well. And um, now somebody might say, well, you know, this is just, uh, you know, her son's telling her what happened and she's, her mind's focused on it and then she starts to dream about it. But it may not be, that may not be the case. You know, it could well be the case that something that impacted on Lovecraft, these sort of hideous f- flying uh, nightgaunts, could actually then turn the tables on his mother as well. So, you know, you have a lot of strange aspects where where fiction and fact um, cross over, where imagination and dreaming cross over, to the point where all four of them all exist in a sort of one hazy realm so to speak now, now there's no doubt that regardless of whether it was real or not there's no doubt you know he was a very good atmospheric writer you know and um his writing style was copied um by so many you know if it, if you know if somebody said the tree was shaking outside you know for lovecraft it would be the dark and shadowy tree creaked you know as some terrible shadows descended upon the old house you know he would like (laughs) pull one sentence into make it into four but he did it in a real really kind of entertaining way which didn't become tiresome you know he, he had his own style but you know this idea that um when we dream we're not actually just dreaming i mean sometimes a dream is just a dream because sometimes you dream about things that happen in the day. But then on other occasions, something seems so vivid and real, and you see faces and people that you've never seen. And you know you've never seen them, but you see them in the dream. You know, you might forget afterwards, but you remember at the time. So, you know, this idea that the dream state is just something in your mind maybe it really isn't. Maybe, you know, we actually do. Into some other realm of reality, and maybe Lovecraft did that on regular occasions. Found a way, either consciously or not, to do it, and then essentially downloaded it into his book so to speak. Um, but not realizing he was doing it, even you know, and uh, and maybe that's what happened also with the Slenderman. That it was yes, it was a new creation, but was it based on earlier archetypes that are sort of deep in our ancient subconscious, and perhaps things like inherited memory, that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, well, you know, this this makes me think of, you know, other writers like, like Stephen King. I remember hearing a radio program called The Rest of the Story years ago. And Talking about how, you know, he became, you know, he wrote about these things because, you know, he had these night terrors, which inspired him. And then um, I teach at a, a Native American school. And just last week, we had um, Joseph Bruchak, who is uh, a uh storyteller and writer, uh, and has, you know, quite a number of books out. And he was talking about a book that he wrote called Skeleton Man, which is about a a cannibal creature similar to the woodland tribes uh, idea of something called the wendigo which was you know a a man driven mad by hunger during you know the winter when there's nothing to eat you know so much so that he eats his family and then goes roaming about the the woods um, looking for other victims and you know was a man, but then becomes a monster, a skeletal beast, you know, that is so very thin that it is just a skeleton. And, you know, thinking of a fearsome creature like that roaming the woods reminds me of Slenderman. But my point here is that um, Joseph Bruchek said that, that this story just came to him in a dream. He was dreaming and Uh, you know, his whole book like came flooding out of him one morning. So he had been dreaming and then he awoke to hearing his main character speaking to him. And then he just sat right down and just started typing like a madman. And uh, then, you know, his wife was coming in and then she came in and she said, you know, hey, hey, Joseph, you know, uh, and then he's like, oh, well, I don't need breakfast. And she's like, breakfast? I was coming to get you for dinner. So he had been sitting there for hours and hours and it just all came to him in one fell swoop through a dream. So Uh, it's curious to me to think about, you know, what, what kind of life forms we might have out there, um, in, in what we thought was imagination and how they can reach out to us.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I think the big, the big issue of course, is most people don't realize that, you know, they assume a bad dream or a weird dream was just simply that and nothing else. But, uh, you know it may not be i mean if you look back at the ancients i mean you know um they put a lot of stock in dreams that they you know that, that they meant something that they were they weren't just a dream you know there was a, a reason or a, or a you know a message in relation to the to the dream so you know i think um a good i mean had had we not got sort of people talking about the slender man in the real world um, I don't think we'll be having this conversation now, it, it's only because it really did become uh, externalised, you know it, it became something that went beyond just the internet and particularly when people started to see it so I think, you know, that that angle of it coming to life um, whether, it, you know, people see it in sleep paralysis or literally outside the window, etc, etc you know, is sort of Less important than the fact that it is being seen, so um, perhaps in the same way that Lovecraft's mother was similarly infected, if you like, um, maybe that's what's happening now—that you know the dreams and ideas and imaginations are now sort of swirling around the real world.
1: Well, and Nick, that's funny because that's exactly where I was going to go when you were talking about Lovecraft's mother being infected. Um, it's that idea of the idea virus that things spread. Like you know, we we joke about memes that memes spread on the internet. We see something, we share it. They see it, they share it. You know, things become viral. We use that term for any you know anything that we share with each other. But uh, you know, it makes me think about Lovecraft's circle. The you know the Lovecraft circle of all the other authors that he would write to. Yeah. And you think of you know Robert Bloch. Who is that's Wisconsin Connection, Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, lived in Milwaukee. Uh, August Derleth, who lived in Sauk Prairie, Wisconsin, which is about, you know, five or six miles from where I am right now. And he's the guy that kept H.P. Lovecraft's stories going after Lovecraft died in the first place and founded the Arkham House, you know, publishing company. And so there's, you know, you, you keep those ideas going. Or, the, or um, who wrote Conan? Oh, Robert... It's on the tip of my oh. tongue. Robert
3: Howard. Conrad?
1: Yes. No, no Robert Conrad's the, the fat guy from uh, uh, <laughs> Jake and the Fat Man. That's Robert Conrad. Oh, um, sorry. But no, ro- no, Robert E. Howard uh, from Plano. There we he, go. Was, he lived in like Plano, Texas. Um, but he was also part of the Lovecraftian circle. And there's even a Conan story, The Tower of the Elephant, that uses uh, a Lovecraftian monster at its basis. The elephant in the Tower of the Elephant is uh, actually a Lovecraftian creature. And so it's funny that he was an idea virus when it came to these stories, because other people extended the Cthulhu mythos after he died. And it almost seems like the Slender Man would fit right in to the Cthulhu mythos and that idea that they're tapping into something that's a archetype of something that humans are afraid of. Uh, just in our in our DNA, like the like the insects or the devil, you know, in five million years to Earth, that we have that genetic or you know, Quartermass in the Pit is what I'm thinking of. Oh, um, I love that movie. We all love Quartermass in the Pit, but that idea that there's just there's something there's a genetic memory we have that we're bred into, and that's right. kind of what I, I wanted to get into asking about. What are some of the similar tales in different cultures um, that have almost Slendermanian qualities?
2: Well, one of the most famous ones that everybody's, or a lot of people have heard of, would be the kids' um, fairy tale, folk tale, of uh, the Pied Piper of Hamelin. Hamelin being a, a town in Germany, and um, you know, it's essentially it's like a kids' folk story, um, but um, it really, it really is, you know, kind of a disturbing story if you read it, you know, and you you literally take it all in, and and in the story. Um, the town of Hamlin is infested by a plague of rats, you know, just thousands and thousands of rats running around. One day, this strange character comes into town. He's uh, described in, in the early uh, versions of the stories like tall and thin and has kind of a, an unusual appearance and he offers to get rid of the rats. And the way that he does it, he has this, like, a supernatural flute, which when he plays the flute, um, it hypnotizes the rats, and they follow him, you know, in sort of, um, you know, zombie-like style uh, towards the local river, and they all tumble into the river and drown. So there's no more rats. From there, that the mayor then goes back on his pledge to, to pay the piper. And so instead what happens is that the piper then turns the tables on the people of Hamlin. And while the, the parents, the adults are all in the church, one particular morning the kids are outside playing and he suddenly starts to play the flute and all the kids are entranced and hypnotized and start to follow him. All but three kids, one who's unable to walk, one who is unable to hear, one who's unable to see. And they, they're they the three who tell the, the parents and the adults what happened. Um, but in the story, you have this tall, thin character hypnotizing kids and taking them into the woods and ultimately to this mountain where they walk through the side of the mountain, which kind of sounds today like a portal or something like that. And they're never seen again. And that sort of... Um, you know, a classic example of this—something um, that sounds very much like the Slender Man—that has the ability to, you know, sort of get people under its control and, you know, almost in a hypnotic state, and that is dangerous to children. You know, you've got you've got all those aspects right there.
1: It, well, and also it's a it's a lesson, and like they crossed the Slender Man. You know, like yeah, they made it. Yeah. You you made the deal with the devil. And when you tried to, you know, when you bluffed, the devil called you bluff and killed all your kids. Yeah. So that's, I mean, the Pied is always such a, you know, you you're like, oh, the Pied Piper, you, you always have that story of like, yeah, and he was playing his flute and people were just passing by, and, you know, and the rats were just following him, and we always talk about the first half of the story in like a winsome kind of way, like, oh, see, they're following him, like he's some kind of Pied Piper, when really the Pied Piper is like a John Wayne Gacy-esque child murderer.
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Very strange story, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it is, and so there's... There's that in Germany, and they also have uh, Der Grossmann, which literally means the big man.
2: Yeah, and again, like Der Grossmann, I mean, is is another classic example of sort of a tall, strange, you know, um, humanoid male figure that you know terrifies children, pursues them, and and just just again, like, has a has a a memorable name, you know, like the Pied Piper. The Slender Man, The Gross they all kind of evoke something that's a little bit unsettling, even if you're not sure why. You know, um, it's, I think it's just just the fact, just the term, you know, people kind of just feel a little bit unsettled. You know, The Slender Man, just, just its name, you know, kind of evokes something weird and skinny and spidery, you know.
1: Especially in Wisconsin, because we have no slender men in Wisconsin. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: too much cheese.
1: Okay, right. Too much. <laughs> too much cheese. Okay, but okay. So Germany's one example of a, a culture, and then also the, in Ireland they have the. Um, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's like looks like fear dub. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, that that was a that was another example as well, and that's sort of just that's another example. of of a demonstration of sort of like a a dangerous, hostile, murderous, um, humanoid-type figure, you know, that um, was a threat to everybody and, um, you know, what was seen as like an early kind of bogeyman kind of thing. And, um, you know, you can find these all around the world, really, you know. um, It's not just applicable to one country or one culture you know i mean uh, every uh, you can probably find you know in, in every large town in just about all around the world you'll find stories of oh you know a haunted bridge where if you cross the bridge and knock on the edge of the bridge or whatever you know the old lady will appear for you there's variations on that you'll find them I in mean, america england russia everywhere you know what i mean and um but then you have to wonder well if those kind of man type characters like the Grossman, the Pie Piper and so on, and Fear, Fear Dub, if they appear all around the world, is it like a collective unconscious or connecting or is it that those early archetypes really were seen at all those places, you know, and um and became again sort of something that may have started as an urban legend, but then so many people really believe in the old lady is, is at the bridge, she suddenly appears, you know, here, there, and everywhere.
1: And that's kind of what I wanted to get to there because we, we we have the Talpa part of it, and I want to talk about where people started having real sightings of the Slender Man, this fictional yeah. character, you know, this this character who's just made to scare the crap out of you, and it's a fun internet thing uh, that Eric Knudsen comes up with, or, or does he come up with it really? Uh, or you know he, or he's the slenderman visits him in a dream or his little tentacles over his brain but is it because maybe I, I think that we think about the uh the humanoid the dressed up uh the the face is messed up kind of thing you know i immediately think of the gentleman from buffy the vampire slayer me too oh, yeah. and i think of the silence from doctor who and you know we have these um and And even the greys, the the alien greys, who we've been staring at them since Whitley Strieber wrote Communion 30 years ago, we've been looking at them in supermarket lines. But that idea of the the human face that's not quite human, it's missing something to it. If because we're so saturated with those images already that it becomes easier for us to imagine them, and then because it's easier for us to imagine them, it's easier for us to project them. So I kind of wanted to get in, when did did the Slender Man first get seen?
2: Well, the earliest I've got, um, and bear in mind it was sort of created in June 2009. The earliest story that I have is from September 2009. Now, granted, that story came to me since the book has come out. Prior to that, it was sort of um, into 2010 but the earliest one I've got is from 20 uh, for 2009. And this involved uh, a young woman, um, well, young woman now, but a young girl then. Um, and she had an experience which was like classic um, sleep paralysis. And this was in the town of Paris, Texas, which is actually not too far from where I live, just a few hours' drive. And um, in this case, she she had like classic sleep paralysis, waking up in the middle of the night, seeing this thing in the room, which she described as classic Slender Man, a tall, spindly, thin character in a black suit, white shirt, skinny black tie, a completely faceless face, and but, but not the tentacles, no tentacles, but everything else. And she said it loomed over the bed and, you know, and again, in typical sleep paralysis style, she was unable to move. But the at one point she was able to break the spell of paralysis. Now, unlike a lot of people who when they break the paralysis, the the entity, whether it's, you know, a monster, a demon, a slender man, when you when you break that paralysis, the creature's gone immediately. But in her case, she said she remembered pushing herself back to the further and further to the headboard of the bed and she was what she said i was 100% wide awake and it was still in the room then and it was like 15 seconds or so later after that where it was almost like a standoff just staring at each other that then it vanished but she said by that time she was fully wide awake and she was absolutely sure of that so um that that kind of suggests it wasn't just uh, a mind-based nightmare or experience. It, it was externalized, and she broke out of it and saw it at least, she said, like 15 seconds or so um, while she was fully wide awake.
1: And that's terrifying, because I don't know if you guys ever had a hypnagogia experience. Um, I have. Yeah, you wake up, you know, you're, you're kind of in that half, and then you see a bunch of weird stuff, and you're like, oh, man, and you're terrified or whatever. And then, but as soon as you hit awake, it all kind of poof. Yeah. You know, yeah. so if you, if you know that's going to happen and you expect everything to go poof, yet mm-hmm. uh, the Slender Man, and we're all sitting there like, yeah, classic Slender Man. <laughs> so skinny and terrifying. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> but the fact is, if you wake up and he's still there, uh, now you've got yourself something different than just a normal hypnagogia experience.
2: Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that the girl told me how, you know, and she admitted this, and she actually doesn't really have much to do with the subject anymore now, that she did actually get really kind of obsessed with it all uh, really quickly and did take part in, like, the um, the chat rooms and the forums. And she did have two occasions where she wrote her own little stories and uploaded them to one particular forum to add to sort of the, uh, you know, the, the growing mythology or whatever. And you find that a lot. It's the ones who get obsessed with it. that say, It's almost as if the Slender Man has come to life. And when you focus on it so deeply, it's almost like um like a burger alarm goes off and it gets alerted to who's thinking about it, who's talking about it, and then it appears for them. And I, I get a lot of Men in Black stories like that. You know, the weirder Men in Black stories, not the Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones types. <laughs> um, but where... People have been talking about them and they get weird sounds on the telephone and, um, you know, or they start to have weird dreams of the men in black, which don't seem like normal dreams. And you see so many of these paranormal entities that seem to know when we're focusing on them and then we become part of their manipulated reality, if you like.
1: Well, I like that, too. Um, Well, I don't like that because the idea that we talk, like now we're talking about Slender Man for like an hour and like I'm going to, you know, wake up in the middle (laughs) of the night and he's just going to be standing over me. He's going to visit you tonight. Right. His tentacles will be (laughs) dripping on me while I'm. You'll love it. But the thing is, is is that, uh, I mean, that particular idea almost reminds me of uh, Robert Damon Schneck's The Bye Bye Man.
3: Oh. The Bye Bye Man. Yes, I was thinking about that too.
2: Yeah, that's a perfect example,
1: and and not maybe not the you know the cheesy movie, but the uh, which which had some scares, I'll admit. But the, the the original story is that the more you talk about him, the more you think about him, the more you're making yeah. an antenna for him to come and get you.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that's just irresistible. But my question is, you know, how do we really know? The difference between like tulpa or predisposition or uh, delusion i mean it seems very murky at this point
2: well i mean what i would say as i think i don't think it can all the phenomenon can be explained in just one way i mean you know when when i think there's a tendency with our minds we try and uh, Put everything, you know, into one category because it's the simplest way to understand it. But I mean, if you look at the Slenderman, we have Eric Knudsen's creation from his from his own mind. But then we have a possible side aspect to it, where maybe part of his imagination was being inspired for something else. Then you've got the possibility of a toll perversion. And then you've also got the ancient archetype, which may also come back to life because people sort of perceiving it, you know, in a, in a Slenderman type situation. So in other words, the, the phenomenon of the Slenderman in the real world may not just be one thing. It may not be just a tulpa. It may be, you know, sort of the rebirth of these old archetypes. Um, which have all been brought to life, but not necessarily as tulpas, but perhaps from some sort of other realm, and they've kind of crossed over. Um, so I think I think there could be a number of answers um, to what's going on, and some of them, you know, are going to be people who have descended into a state of paranoia and mental illness and cannot distinguish reality from you know, from fiction. So so I think the phenomenon itself is actually multiple things. It's not something that can be answered with just one theory, really.
1: Well, this is something that um, I was also thinking about when, thinking about the Slender Man, and when you talked about the Mad Gasser, you mentioned that this, I mean, the idea that it's funny, the Mad Gasser, Mattoon, like it you know, it it rolls off the tongue, and, it, and it's easy, and we talk about the, the scent of sulfur. But... Uh, we've talked about on this show numerous times about how sulfur accompanies Bigfoot sightings and UFO and ghost yeah. and demonic possession and all these kind of things. In any of the real-life Slenderman sightings that you investigated or talked to people about, Nick, were there any weird scents associated with him?
2: Yeah, there's actually... I've got either three or four cases where there was, like, an overpowering odor. And it was, like... um you know like a one person actually described it as like burning rubber like a burning car tire was actually the the term used well you know which is a good description but that sort of burning rubber sulfur and one of them described it like the like the like the iron smell of blood you know that kind of thing and mm-hmm. um you know sort of a metallic you know sort of sickly kind of odour, but where you can almost taste it as well. So, um, you know, you do get those. um, Certainly they don't happen in every case, but there are some of them, and enough to suggest that there's a, you know, the odour component is one that's worth, you know, looking into further to see how deep these patterns actually are, you know. So, um, yeah, but there's, there's several things that I've noticed that often happen in these cases where you know, it's come to life. One is the sleep paralysis angle. The other one is the odor. Um, then there's the angle of the person being sure they were wide awake and not, you know, just not just in a weird altered state of mind. They really were wide awake. And then interestingly enough, what I found is that in most of the bedroom encounters, and this, this also applies to the girl, um, from Paris, Texas. um, the reports that I've got of the Slender Man with the tentacles, they're all from when the creature's seen in the woods. I actually don't have any... Well, actually, I'm sorry, I have one case of uh, the Slender Man being seen in the bedroom with the tentacles, but in all the others, there aren't any tentacles. And um, if that was just one or two cases, but I've got a lot of cases now, and there's a clear trend that when they're in the bedroom, you don't hardly ever see... The tentacles which is kind of interesting you know i mean why if it was all a bunch of people hoaxing why would they all kind of make you know point out that little known angle because that doesn't even really pop up in the fictional stories um you know it's just a little lesser known aspect of the of the real reports that it seems to be different in one location in terms of its appearance to another location
1: classic slender man always leaves the tentacles outside
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, by the door
1: <laughs> I like the fact that you're starting to see patterns in the sightings too that's kind of I mean it's exciting in the way that when you start to see trends we can start to start developing at least some kind of I don't know if theory is a good word but or at least we're starting to get a little closer to uh, you know more of a unified theory of what the slender man might be when we start to see patterns um, but at the same time, you know you mentioned the obsession, and that obsession is what led to um well what happened here in Wisconsin and right mm-hmm. by Allison in my home turf in Waukesha, Wisconsin in two thousand and fourteen and that was certainly a deal of some girls some some junior high school girls that were absolutely obsessed with this creature that they found on the internet to the point where they they thought he was real and mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people have seen there's a Slenderman documentary on HBO. Uh, It's been in the news constantly. And the girls were just convicted, actually, and sentenced to, you know, multiple decades of years in the... Uh, the the state mental hospital. And so, Nick, you finished your book a few months ago, and the sentences for these girls just came out. So is there anything in particular that you wish you would have added or analysis, something like that, you wish you would have added to the book because there's been extra Slenderman stuff that has come out since you finished writing it?
2: Well, I mean, fortunately, from the perspective of writing the book, you know, I was able to continue writing the book right through November of last year, you know. And so I got pretty close to the the end of the story. And even at that point, you know, it was clear that the girls, you know, were going to be, you know, uh, out of society for decades. So at least I was able to get the conclusion, even though it wasn't the specifics, you know, of the, the location where they'd be and how many specific years they would have. But, yeah, I mean, this is, this is sort of, you know, the kind of the worst aspect of the whole Slenderman phenomenon the way in which it you know quite quite literally you know destroys lives in terms of um you know people whether you know whether you whether you go with the paranormal angle or you go with the obsessive descending into you know mental illness angle or you think it's a bit of both it so often ends in tragedy and disaster and you know uh, in this case almost death um, and, you know, I think there's no doubt that the girls fully believed in the existence of the Slender Man. This was not some sort of conjured up story because they were evil and they wanted just to kill their former friend. It was That was not it at all. They really did believe in this. Now, of course, in a court case where you have judges and a jury and the police submitting evidence and data, you're not going to have a debate on the merits or otherwise of the, the supernatural angle. That's not what the courts are there for. You know, the police were there to determine if, you know, they, this was in a case of attempted murder. And from there, you know, were they completely, you know, have their complete faculties with their mind? Or, you know, should this be treated as a mental illness case? And should they be treated in relation to how somebody with a psychological condition has, you know, in a hospital. So those were the areas that popped out in the, um, in the, uh, you know, the court case and everything else. But we didn't obviously get to see the supernatural aspect in that. But what did happen as sort of um, a byproduct of all this was that suddenly you had thousands, tens of, tens of thousands more people who'd not heard of the Slender Man before because they weren't part of that community, then suddenly thinking, who the hell is the Slenderman? What's this headline in the newspaper? You know, girl stabbed girl in the name of Slenderman Man. It, ca- it captured people's attention and, um, you know, took the whole thing to another level as well.
1: Well, a, a couple of things there. Um, number one, for for you guys, that if you're not quite familiar with this, the story we're talking about happened in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Two girls took their friend out to a, a, a public park and they stabbed her repeatedly as a sacrifice to the slender man thinking the slender man would take them to up north wisconsin and they'd be able to live with him in his slender palace and so obviously the girls had some mental issues uh they were local girls at the junior high that that did this And, and a couple of questions nick number one is there anything with the girls experience that you find is consistent with other people's experiences and i just delving into the possibilities of some kind of supernatural angle. And I know they didn't talk about this in court, but anything when you were doing the research of this, where something the girls said matched up with anything other people had talked about?
2: Well, there were a couple of weird things where one of the girls, um, you know, uh, and this actually came from the family, you know, she, uh, woke up in the night with these scratches over her body as if something had, you know, attacked her in the middle of the night, things like that. Um, And, you know, sort of dreams of of strange creatures and things like this. So there was that aspect to it and that that did all predate the the attack. Now, of course, the skeptic might say, well, you know, all kids have weird nightmares of monsters in the closets and things like that or under the bed. You know, another kind of archetype that are all around the world. You know, when you're three or four the closet's slightly open and you you think there's monsters in there. And you the, the imagination of a young child, you know, really is very different to our imagination as you get older. Um, so there were a few things like that. But for the most part, it really came down to two girls having an intense, deep belief in the absolute existence of this, creature and that they had to do what they had to do to um, ensure that they were in their own words they would become like the slender man's proxy and then they would would, the plan was after they stabbed their former friend who fortunately pulled through and has now made a full recovery they were going to head off to the uh, one of the, a forest. Well, I was going to say not too far away, but by foot, it was a long way. And the plan was to meet the slender man in his creepy old mansion deep in the woods. And, um, and this wasn't a ploy, you know, for insanity. This was, they'd got the whole thing in their minds exactly as to what they were going to do and why they needed to do it. Um, but as I said, there were a couple of weird little things like, you know, these childhood experiences, which, With hindsight, you know, we could, I guess now we could address them further. But like I said, in a court case, that's not even going to be relevant, you know.
3: Right. Now, Nick, you just were speaking of waking up with scratches. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked previously about this, uh, you know, sickly smell that uh, accompanied some people's uh, slenderman type experience. Um, did anyone else experience any other physical manifestations like scratches or or other wounds or, or other sensory experiences uh, related to the uh, Slenderman besides, you know, sight and, and smell?
2: Um, not really. I mean, I've not got sort of reports, you know, where somebody's been severely, you know, um, sort of punched or scratched, you know, deep talons or anything like that. Um, you know, um, but I have got quite a few where, yeah, where where I said you've got the sleep paralysis, you've got the odors, um, but not sort of direct physical um, harm, you know, where somebody, you know, um, has been assaulted in that sense. You know, not really anything like that. No, um, it seems more, it's, it's more like, a, for the most part, like a psychological attack, you know, the Slender Man appears. And then just looms over you, and you know, arguably, just to create a, a strong sense of terror. And of course, that ties in one of the theories, um, you know, the idea of supernatural parasites, like like psychic vampires, that perhaps the whole person of uh, excuse me, the whole reason for the um, the manifestation is to create in the in the witness or the victim a sense of incredible fear and terror which then the psychic vampire in the form of the slender man then feeds on it you know so in other words maybe the the goal isn't just to terrorize people for the sake of it but it's to essentially as i said get fuel and and feed itself by by terrorizing people you know and that would be kind of um you know, really disturbing if, you you know, these stories of uh, sort of energy-based vampires, uh, psychic vampires, can li- are literally using us as a food source in a, stra- in a very strange way.
1: That's straight out of Twin Peaks. Um, the characters from the Black Lodge, the evil spirits from the Black Lodge, feed on human pain and suffering, which looks like cream corn, like a blackened cream corn, called Garmin Bosia. And, but that's Delicious. the idea. They create the <laughs> human pain and suffering, and then you see them actually eat the Garmin Bosia, which is the people's pain and suffering that they created in the first place.
2: Yeah, that kind of ties in, you know, that angle of feeding on us, kind of ties in with the thought form Tolper idea as well. You know, enough people believe in something, it comes to life. But then it needs some way to sustain that life. So, you know, all throughout culture, from Tolpers, you know, going back thousands of years to the modern era, energy-based, um, like, hungry ghosts, uh, vampires, <laughs> things like that. You know, they're all kind of tied in with bleeding us dry, you know.
1: You know, speaking of the, the attack that happened in 2014 uh, and those girls in Waukesha... I mean, Allison, didn't you talk about this in Nick's book? In that there was a coast to coast episode about the Slenderman, like the week before.
3: Um, actually, before. it was the night before. <laughs> right? Yeah. So,
1: the, no. So, but let's get into that because all of a sudden, I mean, remember every time George Norrie says, like, "Say your website on the show. We're gonna blow your website away. <laughs> we're gonna turn your website <laughs> off. It's gonna get so much traffic." And that he that was says good. that. <laughs> But but think about how he says that, and think about millions of people now who might have never heard about the Slender Man before, or think about a lot of the Coast to Coast listeners, their AM radio listeners and stuff, maybe not plugged into the internet as much as people like us are, and they hear about this for the first time, captures their imagination. Uh, Like, that goes exactly into what you were just saying, Nick.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was the reason that, that I mentioned that to Nick, because it was so startling to me that, uh, you know, I'm a, a C2C subscriber. So I uh, was listening to it, that show the next day. I was just cleaning the kitchen. And then, you know, I, I hear on the news uh, that the Slenderman attack had happened. And, you know, I had been just listening to the show from the previous night about about um, tulpas that that was the subject. And uh, they were speculating about uh, how the Slenderman, you know, might be coming into reality and might become more evident and, you know, af- affecting people. Uh, because uh, of its popularity and because, you know, people started to report seeing it. And uh, then, you know, then I hear about the stabbing. So it was it was quite jarring
2: for that. Mm. And I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, as you'll remember, and the the host that night was actually Dave Schrader. That's and, right. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, darkness really just did. a couple of weeks. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, Dave, who's got his own show, Darkness Radio, he interviewed me about the Slender Man book, and it actually wasn't until he read the book he was telling me when we did the interview that he didn't even realize that the attack had actually taken place um, right after, you know, just hours after the uh, the radio show, and he was kind of amazed and a bit disturbed as well by it all. And, um, you know, so it's a, it's impacted on a, a lot of, Aspect of the Slenderman phenomenon, you know this idea of talking about the Tolper aspect of the Slenderman, and thousands and thousands of people listening on the show, and then suddenly you can make a case the next day that that Slenderman energy, so to speak, has reached its absolute peak. You know,
1: Well he should be disturbed by because it it's his fault.
3: <laughs> well, um, but you know what I did think as well is you know the the girls um, who perpetrated the stabbing and and the victim they were having a slumber party that night so yeah i mean there's always a possibility that you know that is you know more rooted in our consensual reality that that perhaps they were listening that night uh that's a possibility too
2: yeah i've, I've actually wondered about if they were listening to the show the the only uh, the only thing that well i won't say makes me think they weren't listening the only thing I can rationalise it is that you know they were both girls were extensively interviewed and carefully interviewed, partly because of their age, obviously. But had the police sort of covered every aspect of the story, you know, from when the when their former friend came over, what they did, etc., I just would have thought that at some point that would have come up in the interviews. You know what I mean? Yeah, at,
3: that's
2: At a good one point. point or another. Yeah, but it, but it never did. So, you know, um, it, I mean, but we may never know. And and now it's not really going to make any difference anyway, unless yeah. you're sort of, unless you're focusing on the, the, the paranormal angle of it all. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's the very, you know, at the very least, it's a really weird synchronicity, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, not, not just a weird synchronicity. <laughs> like when we're talking about mass belief, Bringing something to life and then having it be, uh, you know, because I know Darkness Dave used to host it on, you know, Saturday nights, uh, or once a month he would host it on Saturday nights, and I always get excited because he always has good true crime or like good really enjoyable shows. I mean, that's one of those synchronicities that you could eventually make a court case out of in, in the world of paranormal law, but in the in the world of real law, obviously not. Um, and the thing is also that you know, Wachowski wisconsin does have a long history of weird stuff i uh wrote the, the ghost tour in waukesha and wendy our co-host and see you on the other side she is a waukesha ghost tour guide and i did write a stop that does mention the slender man which you know depending on the crowd it's either it's it's a very touchy crowd because obviously people know those fa- waukesha is not a big town 60 70,000 people um so people are going to know the families involved yeah. So you, re- you really got to be, uh, you got to ride that line because somebody's going to ask about it. So you have to have a prepared response versus, you know, not mentioning it all. And then somebody's drunk on the tour or whatever. They're like, what about that Slender Man? And then you got to have <laughs> something ready for them. But the thing, and my part in Nick's book, I talk about this, and we've talked about my shadow person experience before, and if you want to read the best version, make sure you buy Nick's book, uh, The Slenderman Mysteries, because I give that one, uh, I I find I tell it the best in that one, and Nick retells it great. But Waukesha has a long history of weirdness, and um, I've seen some weird things in that town, and there was a history of like ghost hunts, and, um, well unfortunately childism spiritualism of course child yeah. murder uh so there's a comp, very complicated history of a town that we would not consider very large and this is where the slender man stuff happened so you know nick the last couple of questions for you and number one thank you very much i know you've had a was super busy couple of weeks because this is your press blitz time and so thank you for oh, joining well, thanks,
2: us but, uh, well thanks i'm always pleased to you know uh radio because i mean you know you you get good debates going a lot of thoughts and ideas come forward you know which i think the the listeners enjoy when it's not just it's just not black and white you know you actually go down some alternative avenues and whatever
1: and it's always better to be able to elaborate on your ideas than just have a couple of quick quotes but the thing is so what do you think so when you first came to the book and first came to writing what do you what aspect about it of your preconceptions of the Slender Man, do you think changed the most by the time you got to the end? So you started. We always have an idea. We always try to remain, obviously, as impartial as possible. But everybody comes in with their preconceived notions and their personal prejudices. What did you start with that at the end was different?
2: Um, well, certainly, I think it would be the the obsessive nature and how quickly it develops. I mean, when I saw that you know he had a huge following, I kind of thought initially it was going to be along the lines of you know a bunch of kids who you know go crazy over the latest uh, boy band that comes out you know <laughs> that kind of thing and singing on stage the slenderman and getting hysterical. <laughs> yeah exactly and um, so i thought it was going to be more like that but it was far more like a darker and d- disturbing obsession because what I found it wasn't just that people were obsessing on the Slenderman, it was like they were almost in their minds sympathetic to it and felt they could relate to it and understand it. You know, it's kind of almost like the you know, sort of the Patty Hearst thing. You know, you get kidnapped and then you find you're on then you're on the kidnapper's side, you know. And I think it's it was, I found that happening more and more, which I didn't realize initially was going on. The fact that people were not just obsessing on it, they were relating to the slender man as well you know he's he's one of us or I'm one of his followers, that kind of thing, and um you know when it gets down to that kind of um obsession, then it really does sort of get you know, really kind of dark, you know, uh, when people do sort of just, wow, you know, this is what I've been waiting for. That That's actually how a lot of kids have reacted to it. I mean, one of the people I interviewed for the book was Olaf Phillips, who runs Paranoia magazine. And he was telling me how he brought it up with his son once, you know, have you heard of the Slender Man? And his son went quiet and finally got him to talk. And basically in his class at school, all the kids were were into it they were all obsessed with it in his class um but the really kind of strange thing was and, and again sort of dark disturbing thing was that they'd all kind of agreed not to say anything to the parents to the grown-ups to the old people you know and it was their little secret and the adults were kept out of the loop and so you know you've got this undercurrent of who knows how many kids across the planet in similar situations to Olaf's son, where they they keep it to themselves and mom and dad don't need to know anything about this. That was one of the things that kind of, um, at the end of the story, became something that I didn't anticipate at the start of the story.
3: Yeah, that's so frightening.
1: The Pied Piper Slenderman Stockholm Syndrome.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, when when you think of, like, the Boogeyman, for example, it's like... When, when Mike and I were coming up, we weren't, like, looking into the closet going, hey, can I join up? <laughs> hell, you yeah, Boogeyman. We, yeah. we were like, you know, we want to get the hell out of there. We don't want to have yeah. anything to do with the Boogeyman. Right.
1: We wanted to be the Ghostbusters. We didn't want to be Gozer.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, Right. You know, we wanted to be the Ghostbusters. We we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't even want to be Slimer. You know, we we didn't want to jump on over to the other side. So, I mean, that's that's really uh, kind of a sickening aspect to think of. You know, that kids want to be allied with, you mm-hmm. know, some kind of murderous evil spirit.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it it is one of these situations where. You know, sort of. Sometimes darkness does come. You know, just stride straight out into our reality in sort of unforeseen ways. And um, you know, and that's certainly the case with *The Slender Man*. You know, the certain issues that cropped up time again, the obsession, the the sense of being able to understand it or to relate to it. Which totally, you know, the girls in Walkershire, That's exactly what they did. You know, they. They felt it was something they could relate to, and, and that's. And of course, not everybody, not even most people, ever go down that path. You know, the number of attacks that have been done in the name of Slenderman are, you know, a handful, half a dozen or so. But it doesn't take away the fact that a lot of kids do kind of um, relate to it. there's no doubt about that. You know, um, you know, it's kind of like finally you know something that understands me that um wants to spend time with me you know and you, it, it, it is you know it is like a very disturbing predatory type story you
1: know? well you know a lot of rockers throw up the devil horns at a show but only a few of them become glendanzig so that's the kind yeah. of you know, that's <laughs> the you know the yeah every everybody wants to be a rebel you know, and this is the kind of thing. It's like yeah. this is our secret, and don't tell your parents. And it's dangerous, and it's romantic. It, I mean, it's romantic in a scary, kind of tentacled, faceless way. But it, it has its <laughs> it has its own thing.
3: Oh, Slenderman, Hook uh, her up. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, Flip.
1: classic Slenderman. <laughs> Anyway, Allison, do you have any last questions for Nick before we got to let him go off, do more press, and have a nice night?
3: Oh, come on. We can't let him go. Uh, Well, yes, I I just want to know because, you know, you're like writing a book or an article like every five minutes. I want to know what your next uh, project or projects are. You know, what can you tell us about what you're researching right now? All
2: right, well, I've actually got um – the, the new book slender man mysteries that's published by new page books but in uh, in april i've got it's just coincidence they're coming out sort of close together but in april i've got a book coming out with my agent's own um publishing a house called lisa Hagen books and i've done um altogether i've done sort of um four books on the whole um men in black slash women in black black eyed children books as the uh, on the Trail of what Source of Spies, Real Men in Black, Men in Black, Women in Black. And the, the fifth one, I, I'm still not sure it'll ever be the last one, but <laughs> I'm doing one which comes out in about a month or so. It's called The Black Diary. And it's basically um, the, the previous one in the, in the series, if you like, Women in Black, sort of went up to about 2015, 2014, thereabouts. And the new one goes right up from then till pretty much the present day and uh, and it's written exactly as how the things happen so that's why it's called the black diary because it's sort of like a you know it's sort every rather than having chapters it's sort of like dates throughout the three or four years where i had really weird experiences and odd interviews with people and and a lot of weird stuff happened in my apartment as well and so that's all in there so it's kind of like a like a dark diary kind of um, book, rather than, you know, it is literally kind of written in the style of a diary or a journal. So,
3: hmm. so it's more about um, your your personal experiences as well, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, I've actually had a, a, there was one period when I was sort of like swamped with stuff, and this was where I was doing something, which I do occasionally, and I always regret it, and that was like trying to, you know, open portals and doorways and summon something through you know it, it never ends well but i've always said to people you know
1: that was your crowley period
2: <laughs> well kind of and but i always tell people you know if you want to do it want to try it, i'm not going to hear, i'm not here to say yes or no it's down to you but i've done this on a few occasions and you know it's kind of like that situation of it it's easy to open the door but then Closing the door to keep it away is a lot harder. But I had a lot of weird stuff happen. Like um, at the height of doing all this, there was one occasion when I had a sort of a dream about this um, this really weird-looking woman in black, sort of you know, white skin like like plastic or Botox. And I, I had like a very 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 uh, extremely very brief paralysis like sleep paralysis for maybe two or three seconds but in that period I heard this sort of female deep voice say "Um, I can help you just say yes and um, Mm. and I got this really you know cold chill that if I said yes it would kind of like open doors to whatever and I also and I don't know if you've experienced this at all but I know a few people who have the more I dug into this, and you know, trying to focus on these things, I started to see like little sort of black shadows at the corner of my eye, like as if you know, if you'd seen like a little mouse run across the carpet, you're like, "What hell was that?" You know, kind right. of that situation. That happened quite a few times, and um, and there was like a negative vibe. You could just mm. like in an atmosphere in the apartment, and I did sort of various cleansing. Procedures and things like that, just to um and, and it actually also impact on a couple of friends of mine. One a friend of mine, Buffy Clary, uh, who lives over in uh, East Texas, and Buffy had a couple of experiences, which is her real name, by the way. It's not it's not a nickname from Buffy the Vampire. Her name really is Buffy. <laughs> I was say, that's a and, that's
1: um, a great name. She should be yeah. in a band.
2: And uh, but I loaned her a few books that related to all this kind of stuff. You know. Um, rituals and rites and summonings and I swear I'm telling the truth here every time well twice when she picked that book up and started to really dig into it she um, she was involved in two um Electrical storms where she was actually um, struck by lightning. Um, the apartments on one occasion that she was living in, um, it fried um, some of her electrical equipment when she was right in front of it. And then on the other occasion, she was sitting in a hammock in her backyard and the tree in front of her got struck by lightning. The branch came down and it was oh, the, the strike was so close that for like three days she felt like ill and weird and just not right. And um, and she, she ended up actually having three strikes like that, that, you know, was so close to be dangerous. And um, so that's basically what the book's about. It's sort of how I got into, the, you know, what happened in the last three years and how all this sort of weirdness happened and how it impacted on friends and colleagues and girlfriends and all sorts of stuff. So,
1: That's the idea virus. That's H.P. Lovecraft sending that letter to August Derleth or whatever. And then August Derleth wakes up in the middle of the night just hearing, I can help you, August. Just say yes.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, it's it's so wonderful to talk to you, Nick. And, And don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again many, many times. And uh, because you're always engaging and, you know, we love the depth of of your research. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I'll make sure you get you both get a copy of the new book. If you just remind me of your mailing addresses and a Facebook message or whatever, and then I'll uh, when they when the uh, copies are ready in April, I'll make sure you get copies.
1: Thank you very much. And so for people who want to pick a copy up of the Slender Man Mysteries, and you're going to want this because it's well researched, if I do say so myself. um,
3: (laughs) And we're both in it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, but also it really is. Um, you know, if you're looking for a full examination of this kind of thing, when when you get past, uh, if you if you watch the HBO documentary on Slenderman and you follow the court case and things like that of the tragedy that happened in Waukesha four years ago, it gives you an idea that this is much deeper and mm-hmm. and also we're in uncharted territory when it comes to how ideas spread and urban legends spread in this world in the world of the internet in the world of social media as compared to how things you know did a thousand years ago or 500 years ago with stories like the Pied Piper so
3: yeah and help you put uh, what happened into a larger context so Nick uh, if people want to buy the book where they find it
2: um, well, they can get it from Amazon, obviously, but you can also buy it off the off the shelves in Barnes and Noble as well. They, they, all, most of the Barnes and Nobles have got it in stock. And um, if people want to contact me, um, they can reach me at Facebook. There's half a dozen Nick Redferns, but you know you, you'll find me. And uh, I'm always happy. You know, if people want to share information or if they've got questions, you know, because they've had an experience, and uh, people can reach me on Twitter at Nick Redfern UFO. So. Um, And uh, and as I said, I'm always happy to chat with people. I'm not one of these sort of standoffish authors, you know. Um, uh, You know, I think the the most important people in the field are the witnesses because without them, we've got nothing to go on. So, you know, I'm always pleased to sort of, um, you know, help people out if I can, if they've got questions or they've had a disturbing experience or whatever.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, Nick, very much. Thank you, Alison, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you guys on the other side.
2: All right. Thanks, guys.
1: Make sure you guys check out the show notes because you'll be able to pick up a copy of The Slender Man Mysteries, an internet urban legend comes to life by Nick Redfern. Uh, you'll be able to pick up your copy in the show notes.
0: And that's at othersidepodcast.com slash 186. 186
1: episodes. Wow, that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this for a while now. Yeah. I mean, not even, I mean, it's still a lot of episodes. And Well, you know, one of Nick's favorite things to talk about when he's writing about himself is is how much he loves punk rock. Yeah, and specifically like '70s style punk rock. And awesome. Uh, you know, we saw this band on their last tour, Wendy. Yeah, we did. And, and did It s- was such a great show. It was. We got to see the Ramones at Lollapalooza in 1996, uh, and that was in Iowa City. Or Was it? Uh, I think it was Des Moines. No, it was in Des Moines. We went to. Des no, Moines. it was Des Moines. <laughs> That's right. And we got a w- wicked sunburns.
0: Yes. <laughs> And sadly enough, uh, just a few weeks ago when I was in Los Angeles, I visited a couple of their graves at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery.
1: Oh, that's right. Johnny and Dee Dee's graves there. That's right. And, and Joey's been dead since 2001, so I think the last Ramon left yes. alive is Marky.
0: Oh, and we saw
1: him in Chicago with Andrew <laughs> we, WK. Yeah, we did see Not Marky in Chicago. And then uh, we, I think Tim's band, our, our friend Tim opened up for them in Madison Marky Ramon and the Invaders like 18 years or 19 years ago. That's back before (laughs) OK's burned Anyway, you guys don't care about that. What you do care about is (laughs) that um, Nick Redfern loves Ramones. So we decided to write a Ramones-inspired track in Nick's honor on the topic of his book. So this is Sunspot with The Slender Man. Nine foot
4: tall in a suit and tie Could terrify. Oh, 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 the slender man he crawl inside your head's face It looks like You erased his face From the basement of the internet and made out of belief I we bleeding through the gates of hell when we close our eyes to dream? They thought that you were But he's creeping into facts When you feel all arms around you, you best dare not turn your back Your nosebleeds and your senses drip Oh, 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 the slender man Pied Piper of the world worldwide web Oh, 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 the slender man Ooh, those tentacles are gross Coming through the Christian cosmos From the basement of the internet And made out of belief Are we peeking through the gates of hell When we close our eyes a dream They thought that he was fiction But he's creaking when you feel long arms around you, you best dare not turn your back. Oh oh oh, the slender man. Oh oh oh, the slender man. Oh oh oh, the slender man. Where the slender man? Oh oh oh, the slender man. Oh oh oh, the slender man. Oh oh oh, the slender man. Where the slender man?
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OthersidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oop, we're not done yet, though.
1: What? I was already, I already had my pants off.
0: No, 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 the fun's not over yet, Mike, because we haven't thanked our Patreons yet.
1: Oh, the patrons. I love you
0: people. Yes, patrons, Patreons, call them what you will, but we know what they are, and that is fantastic people who support our program
1: yes, and our band and the stuff that we do, and they make it possible, basically. And we love you guys for it. And you can find more information at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. You can find the reward levels, and you could be on the same reward level as Dr. Ned, who gets a shout out.
4: Every awesome. single
1: episode. Thank you so much, Ned, for your support. And Thanks, th- Ned. Thank you to each and every one of our patrons for making this happen. Once again, that's OthersidePodcast.com slash donate. Have a great week. Yeah, classic Slender Man. <laughs> so skinny and terrifying. Classic Slender Man always leaves the tentacles outside. I yeah, mean, it's romantic in a scary kind of tentacled, faceless way.
4: I can help you August, just say yes.